Welcome to See a Fire Ministries with James Myers. Today, James discusses the sacrament of baptism. You can find more information about our ministry by visiting us at seafire.org, or you can view James's latest videos on YouTube at Seafire Ministries. We hope this message serves to strengthen and build up the church. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, as we consider the first of the sacraments, we'll consider baptism. I ask that you give us grace, you fill us with your spirit to receive your word. Let us be diligent in upholding your testimony and the truth of your testimony and of your word. God, grant us eyes to see and ears to hear power and the wisdom that is from you. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we are going to start speaking and talking about and discussing, considering the sacraments. The two main sacraments of the Protestant Church are baptism and the Lord's Supper, or the Eucharist. Now, the word sacrament comes from the Latin, the ecclesiastical Latin. So you have the ecclesiastical Latin and you have classical Latin, but this, the Latin is sacramentum. And now that actually comes from the Greek musterion. And remember, we've talked about musterion. That is mystery. That is mystery. We'll, we'll discuss more, God willing, next week of how these words con converge and so forth. However, within the Roman church, there are basically seven sacraments. And again, we're going to wait, God willing, until next week. We're going to have two parts regarding baptism, so we don't have to rush through this one. Because there's much to be considered here, especially as it relates to sacraments. There's much controversy within the church, which, which presents kind of a twofold situation, right? On the one hand, it's very, it's kind of sad. It's unfortunate that the church isn't unified with the paradigm of the, the essential giving of sacraments, okay? However, on the other hand, that difference exists because people are emphatic and they're determined to be faithful to Scripture and faithful to God, okay? But we're going to talk about, we're going to wait for most of the controversies next week and we'll probably lose half of our followers and so forth because, <laughs> you know, when you want to lose at least half of your congregation, you're going to talk about sacraments or you're going to talk about infant baptism which we'll talk about next next week god willing pedo baptism so within the catholic church though there are basically seven sacraments they've come up with seven sacraments one is baptism another is confirmation another is the eucharist the lord's supper which we'll consider again after we consider um, baptism uh, the confessions or penance now in just real quickly in the roman church penance is for when a believer has made shipwreck of their faith. So they, there's a belief there that if you commit mortal sin, the baptism, you know, and your, your profession of faith has fallen and you are now condemned again and you need to receive penance to be restored into fellowship with other believers and to be restored into salvation. So that's penance. And there are also holy orders or ordination into the ministry, okay? And there, the, there's also the sacrament of marriage, the matrimony, okay? And then there's what's called the extreme unction or the last rites, the prayer over the sick or the dying. Now, 
the way this began really comes from the book of James, James chapter, chapter 5, verses 14 through 14 and 15. Is anyone sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And again, we're going to wait until next week, God willing, to consider how this kind of changed and adapted. But again, but and, and, and just real quickly, I think the, the Roman Church, the Roman Catholic Church, is accused too much. I think Protestants have the testimony, have the tendency to, to. So there's what's called sacerdotal, sacerdotalism, which basically means the priest has all the authority, all the power of these sacraments come from the priest. And that's not technically exactly how Rome sees it. They do see this coming from God, but essentially through their ministry. Okay, So within the sacraments, the, the Catholic Church believes and teaches and, you know, exercises these sacraments the latin term is ex opere operato okay and that's just that basically means out of the work working so in effect the sacraments themselves have the power to 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 do the work given for these sacraments and as it relates to baptism they actually see baptism as a regeneration. So when you baptize infants in the Catholic Church, they are actually be, they become members of the church and they see this as a renewal, a, a, a new life. They, they even go to chapter 3 of the book of John where, where Christ is telling Nicodemus, one must be born of water and the Spirit. We'll consider that, but but they see that as a regenerative act. And some of the Protestant Church, unfortunately, see baptism as salvation. It's a regeneration, re regenerative work. Now, in the Protestant Reformation, baptism was one of the biggest points of controversy, okay, and penance. Uh, but really, it it kind of arose out of the the sacrament of baptism now so what they coined the term again ex opera operato is the catholic version in the protestant version it's they just changed it to ex opera operantes operantis so that's really out of the work of the worker so basically god commanded these things and god institutes these things and god is the one at work through these things now real quickly Bapt Again, we will consider this more, God willing, next week, but baptism it does not save us. It follows regeneration. The reason we get baptized is because Jesus Christ demanded it, commanded it. In fact, in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, this is just before his ascension, and he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So many people will point to this verse, all who believe and are baptized are saved. So these they see salvation in the baptism. And again, we will talk about this more next week, but just to introduce this a little bit, Jesus Christ also emphasizes, he doesn't say those who are not baptized will be condemned, but he says those who do not believe are condemned. Now, he commands baptism, baptism in the name of the Father, the, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a Trinitarian sacrament, okay? So we 
are baptized because he commands it. It's basically an outworking. It's a working of an internal framework, of an internal paradigm once we are regenerated. Now, regeneration doesn't happen by a minister as well. To the extent that God changes the disposition of your heart, to the extent that any words of any minister or any man or even your Bible speak to you and preach to you, to the extent that you have ears to hear and eyes to see, that comes from God alone, but he uses the foolishness of preaching. You know, the ministers are here to make these things more clear, to make these things, to teach you in the ways of the Lord, to kind of reveal more of the truth that somewhat some of the laity are somewhat limited by. They have other gifts, as we've made it clear. The church is a body. We're all one, okay? So the minister isn't any greater. It's just by the foolishness of preaching, God awakens a sinner to himself. So to the extent that any of us are actually regenerated, actually are reborn and given new life, that is by the power of God and God alone. God alone. It might come through the foolishness of preaching. It might come through the testimony of reading his word. But it is his work and his work alone. Okay. Now, what, what I want to get into today are some of the modes of baptism. So, in other words, some of the ways in which the church sees baptism, sees how it's, whether or not you're supposed to be completely immersed in the water, whether you can be dipped or whether or not, you know, somebody can sprinkle water on you. Basically, there are two, there are two different Greek words, okay? Baptisma, which means true immersion, okay? But that, the root of that is baptizo. So, and the way we kind of look, and which means basically just to dip or to be sprinkled and so forth, okay? And we'll consider some Old Testament passages. But the, the way we kind of, we want to start to... The way we can understand some of these more, and especially the word specifically, because etymological derivation is essential. When you come across the word to understand scripture, we need to understand the meaning of, of these words, right? However, not that alone. We must also understand the context. We must also under, know the genre in which we're reading, right? Whether it's historical, whether it's poetic, whether it's prophetic. You know, like we talked about last week, we need to know all these things. Now, so when we, when to, in order to understand a word given in the New Testament even greater, then we can look at the Old Testament, the Septuagint, remember, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So the baptizo is actually spoken of more in the Old Testament than in the New. We don't know how the, the church in the New Testament, in the early church, were baptized. You have to understand, especially in the desert, water is somewhat scarce, okay? Whether they were dipped, whether they were sprinkled, whether they were completely immersed is somewhat unknown, okay? But again, these controversies we will talk about next week, but I want to talk about and give you some of the accounts of how these were given in the Old Testament going into the New. So Exodus chapter 12, verses 20 through 21, it regards the Passover lamb, the Paschal lamb. Remember when just before the angel of death was to come, they had to kill a lamb. Each household had to kill a lamb, one of their lambs, and then dip into the blood of the lamb and basically beat it 
on the doorposts and on the lintels. So that was a baptism of the blood of the Lamb. Okay, so hopefully we can start seeing more about the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world in the preaching of John the Baptist. Okay, so in with the blood of the Lamb, that was dipped, it was baptized, to baptize and protect them from the angel of death for, for the Passover, so that God would pass over these specific houses that were marked by the blood of the Lamb. Okay. Also, now remember, the story of Naaman. We discussed this, so I'm just going to give you kind of a brief overview. <laughs> remember, Elisha commanded him to, and told him to go wash. He told him to go wash in the River Jordan seven times. And remember, Naaman was kind of incensed, but then he went and dipped seven times. And he was a leper. He was a leper, right? And then he was cleansed. So that's to signify our uncleanliness and sin and baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, however, which we'll get into, we'll introduce today and talk more about uh, next week, God willing. However, this is to signify our cleansing as well. When we are baptized by our Christ, when we are buried in Him, and we'll talk about that, and then we were raised up in Him, we are also cleansed. And remember, Naaman's skin was restored to that of a child, not that of a man. He wasn't given back his skin that he had before he was a leper. He was given brand new skin, so to speak. Now, I also just remember the, the blind man in John chapter 9 that Christ healed. Remember, he spit on the mud from the ground, put it on his eyes, and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, Siloam, when translated, means sent. And he did, and he came back seeing. He came back seeing. Now, I see that as reflective of the Naaman, of the Naaman story. Okay, so these, this is a dipping. Okay, and so also in Exodus chapter 24, verses 7 and 8, this is when the old covenant was confirmed. Okay, so then he took the, this is Moses. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. This is the agreement. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. So again, here's another baptism which has to do with sprinkling. Okay, which has to do with sprinkling. But he took the blood and sprinkled it on the people to confirm this covenant. You agree. You agree. This is God's covenant. And he's already, you know, attested to this covenant. Now you agree. Now by this blood, by the sign of this baptism, you know, this, this, uh, this covenant is affirmed. In Isaiah chapter 52, verses 13 through 15, this is about the sin-bearing servant. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man. His appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. This is the coming of the Christ whose visage, whose appearance was completely marred on the cross. Okay, But by that, he is given eyes to see 
and ears to hear. Even the kings will shut their mouth, the proud, the arrogant. Remember, every high place will be torn down and the low valleys will be exalted. That's also what Isaiah said. Also, all of these prophets, all the prophecies, all of these things are saying the same thing. The exalted will be humbled, the humbled will be exalted. Okay, But that came by this suffering servant who is now sprinkling many nations. Go into all the earth and preach the gospel and baptize for the remission of sins, but baptize these people. Those who believe and are baptized will be saved. Those who do not believe will will be condemned. And they are condemned already. Remember, John gets into that. Okay. John, chapter 13, verse 26. Je- Jesus answered, it, so this is at the, uh, during the Last Supper, in the upper room. Okay, and so basically Peter's kind of pointing to John, John the disciple, who's called the Beloved. He's lying on Christ's bosom. And Peter kind of signs over to him to ask, you know, who's the one who's going to betray Who's the one who's going to betray you? And Jesus says, Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. So he baptized the water to the betrayer the, because he is the bread. He is the bread that has come from heaven. That's what, remember, the, the significance. Now, real quickly, what we're talking about is the significance of these sacraments, which the root word is sign. It's a sign. It's to signify. Think about any sign, okay? Think about when you're entering, when we go to Colorado, you know, we see that, that, that sign. Entering Colorado. Well, the sign is in Colorado, right? <laughs> Colorado is the place, but it's a sign pointing to Colorado. So these are all signs pointing to a greater essence, pointing to Christ specifically. And again, regarding the baptism, which has which has, have several different meanings, so to speak, but mostly and more specifically, the death and resurrection of Christ, which we, again we will, we will we will consider. Now, in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Now I saw heaven open, and behold. I can't read this without getting chills. I hope this happens to you. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, baptized in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. Goes to the Psalms. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So even Christ, remember, we've, we've talked about the visions that John had in heaven, in glory, of the bleeding lamb. Well, now he sees Christ in his glory. You know, he's, he, he has a robe, he has many crowns, and he's on his thigh, and on this robe is written, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and his name is the Word of God. Remember, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so he is the Word of God. He is the Logos. 
which has many different meanings. But he is the Logos. He is the Word of God. Okay? Now, this robe, his robe, his perfectly white robe is dipped in blood. The Bible talks about when we are glorified, we will be given pure white raiment. I don't know if you remember, but when we were, when we were reading Pilgrim's Progress, the last of the three, you know, obviously the Holy Spirit, changed his raiment. He, he, took, he removed his raiment and gave him a new raiment. We will also be given pure white robes by the blood of the Lamb. And so his robe also is baptized because he was baptized his death again this is where the baptism is signified just real briefly we must consider our baptism when we are baptized it's basically a burial ceremony so to speak but really we should see it as the cross the baptism is really the forsaken cross of christ where he's crying out my god my god why have you forsaken me now, now, our baptism descends in the burial place just like our Savior, remission, remitting all of our sins for the forgiveness of sins, dying to sin, dying to darkness, dying to the things of this dark world, and being raised up in the light of Christ. That is what baptism is signifying. That, that is mostly what baptism is signifying. Again, we'll get into more about what it signifies next week, God willing. But today, we are focusing mostly on that depiction, and then we'll talk, generally speaking, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit right now. John chapter 3, verse 5. This is where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, okay? And we've considered this account, but Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, so this is a twofold enterprise. Again, he says, go to preach to all nations. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Now, belief, regeneration, precedes baptism. Many are baptized, and we'll talk about circumcision and how these compare. Many are baptized and are not saved. Are not saved, okay? But this is to signify our true regeneration. When he gives us eyes to see, when he gives us a new spirit, to seek after righteousness, when we truly do desire to die to sin and live in righteousness, in the righteousness of our Christ, in the righteousness of our Savior, of our great high priest, who shed his own blood, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That is what this signifies. Now, Briefly, again, we'll talk about this mostly next week. I'm sorry, but, but we must put, make these into two different parts, okay? Because there's much to be said about this. But today, the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was also, always in the history of the church referring to regeneration, the giving of the Holy Spirit to a new believer when he is awakened, when he dies to sin, when he's baptized, this is a baptism. Regeneration is a type of baptism. That's what this, again, baptism, being baptized, whether by immersion, whether by dipping, whether by sprinkling, whatever it is, it is a, it, the death with Christ, and we'll, talk, we'll see what Paul says about this, and being raised with Christ. For, so for the history of the church, most of the history of the church, 
That's what it was seen as, the regeneration. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is regeneration, dying to sin, being raised into Christ. Now, lately, through different charismatic movements, the church thinks that the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit gifts you with these certain charismatic gifts, whether it's speaking in tongues, glossolalia, or, or healing, and so forth. Now, that has never been what the Bible has referred to the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit. So, the prophets of the Old Testament and the kings were blessed, David specifically anyway, were blessed with the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit to lead we think of charisma as this great and joyful, just kind of excited kind of a deal. The charisma, the charismatic gifts in the Bible are given to lead people. They're given for a specific person, the Holy Spirit. Now that was only given to specific people in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, to prophets, all the prophets, and to some of the kings to some of the kings. It was meant to be given to all the kings, but the kings who were wicked and fell away, obviously, just like Saul, God took away his spirit, took away the charismatic gift. And that's why he was downtrodden and did all sorts of nonsense. So, the church must be careful when she looks at these things and considers these things. This isn't a great little cute little thing for us to boast about. That's what Paul gets into, that 15th chapter of the 1 Corinthians, when he's saying, you know, these gifts are for a purpose. You know, we're one body. We're one body. And, and this movement, if you aren't gifted with these things, if you don't start speaking a bunch of nonsense, unintelligible nonsense, then they will accuse you of not being truly regenerated. So we must be careful. None of us know who is and who is not saved. Only God does. But again, just the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is basically regeneration. Simply put, it is God himself indwelling the, the believer who has come out of the darkness of this world into his light. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, who he pour, whom he pours out on all the church now, all true believers are given eyes to see and ears to hear. Certain gifts, certain gifts for his ministry, but not these specific little things that don't make any sense and don't reflect what was in the New, what was in the New Testament church anyway. Okay, so going on. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. This is Paul, obviously. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. This is Paul the Apostle. For if, we have been for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Our sins were imputed on him on the cross. And again, his righteousness is imputed to us. But we also died on that cross with him, 
our sins. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is the true baptism, which our baptism, our water baptism, signifies. Okay? So, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin and for sin once for all. But the life that he gives, he lives, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let this be an encouraging and perpetual encouragement for all of us. We are all still fallen, fallen creatures, prone to be tempted, but don't be deceived. Don't be deceived, brethren. You are tempted by your own desires. We are tempted by our own desires. These things will come up, but we have died to these things, died to these things, and live in Him. For if we are crucified with Him, surely we also bear the same testimony, bear the same image of His resurrection. Before it actually even happens, we are raised in newness of life. That's why Jesus says, he who is, only he who is born of the water and the spirit is truly reborn, is truly reborn. And he can enter, he enters the kingdom of God. He says he enters and he who is not can't even see the kingdom of God. But he who is born of the water, of water and spirit enters into the kingdom of God. This is our life. This is our pilgrimage. What a glorious pilgrimage. We died to this world. We died to sin. Now we are raised with Christ in newness of life. Ezekiel, we've considered this. Chapter 36, verses 25 through 27. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. These are, these, I just want to give you some Old Testament accounts pointing forward to this time of the gifting of the Holy Spirit for all of his people. Real quickly. When, Moses, when uh, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, you know, Moses is judging all the people, you know, all the problems, all, these, all the lawsuits, so to speak, they are coming to Moses and Moses alone. And Jethro thinks this is, this is kind of a bad idea. You're going to exhaust yourself. Appoint 70 elders, 70 men, you know, to do this for you. And you'll start with this guy, you know, if it doesn't get settled here, then you'll go to the next guy, if it doesn't get settled there, and work your way up until maybe, I mean, basically Moses was the Supreme Court, okay? And God was very pleased with that. And so he gifted, he gifted his Holy Spirit to all 70 of the men, all 70. And Joshua kind of gets upset about this. He comes to Moses and he's saying, Hey, these guys are prophesying. They're, they're seemingly doing your same ministry. You know, put a stop to this. Just like John the Baptist kind of did. <laughs> or the disciples of John the Baptist. And Moses says, Would to God that everybody would be filled with this Holy Spirit. This was a prophecy from the prophet of the Old Covenant about the New Covenant. And again, we'll consider some of what the other prophets said. Remember what Joel said. And what uh, Peter had actually quoted at Pentecost. And we'll read that. But this is the pouring out of the Spirit. 
is the pouring out of the Spirit, which he was talking about in the Old Testament. So, Ezekiel, again, continuing. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols, from all your nonsensical idolatry. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Remember that part of Jeremiah. I will write my law on their minds and in their hearts. They will know me, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. This is what I'm going to do. You, you know, you won't, you'll need less, you know, than necessary of this prophet, and you have no ability to understand these things. I'm going to write this on your mind and on your heart, and you shall be my people, and I shall be your God. Okay, sorry, continuing. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Soften it. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Again, this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is newness of life. Isaiah chapter 44, uh, verse 3. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. This is the testimony of God. So remember, even in the Old Covenant, We'll talk about this too, because the promise isn't only to the one who is saved. Remember, the Philippian jailer, Cornelius, not only to you, and Peter even says this in the day of Pentecost, this is not just for you, for you and your household. You and your household will be saved. That's reflective of the old covenant as well. That's what circumcision signified. And we'll, again, we'll talk about this very briefly today, going into next week. Also, remember, Remember, John said, I baptize you with water, but there is one coming after me who is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's this baptism. That's the true regeneration. That is salvation. That is newness of life. This is what baptism signifies. I baptize, I baptize you with water, which we must do, we should do, we are commanded to do by the grace of God. But this is because this is reflective of what He's done. So we do a sign, as it were, to signify, to tell all people, to testify to them that I am God's. I am God's. I am. I have died to sin. I, that doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean I'm righteous. I'm not lording this over you. But God has regenerated me. He has given me new, newness of life. So this is what I'm testifying to by my baptism. But remember, John the Baptist baptized with water, Christ with the Holy Spirit, and with fire. A refining fire and a glorified fire. Remember, the fire signifies many things. It's a fearsome thing, it's dangerous, but it also gives light. It gives light, it gives warmth, it comforts, it can be comforting. It could kill you, but it also could save you. So he baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He who does not believe is condemned. That's the bad fire. He who believes and is baptized, will be saved. That's the good fire. That's the glorified fire. That is the fire of light. And also, remember, the Spirit descending upon Christ as a dove. The Spirit descends on all, everything that Christ came to do. He came to do for us. And everything that was done for Him is basically reflective, much less so, but still reflective of what He does to us. The Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove at his baptism, at his 
at his beginning, at his ordination, basically, again, he was always filled with the Holy Spirit, but this was his ordination. This was the beginning and the call of his ministry. And the Spirit came and descended on him, just like when we are ordained into newness of life, into the ministry of Christ, because we're all called to the ministry in different ways. We are all his, and we're all called to share the gospel to the ends of the earth. That is not just an apostolic command. That is a command to everyone who is his. Okay, now, uh, Joel chapter uh, 2, verses 28 and 29. This is what Peter quoted at the day of Pentecost. Remember, the first outpouring of the Spirit happened on the day of Pentecost. The Feast of first fruits. this is when Christ received his first fruits because of what he did. Because of, because of what he did. He, he died for sins. He was raised for our justification. And he ascended to the right hand of God to send the Spirit. To send the Spirit for his first fruits for the first reaping of the harvest, as it were. And when this Spirit is poured out, this wonderful apostle who was kind of <laughs> kind of uh, confused, let's put it that way, you know, before this Spirit descended upon, before he was given the gift of the Holy Spirit, you know, he was, he, he was, he had the tendency to think much of himself. I will die for you. You know, he, he, he takes Jesus aside when Jesus is saying he's going to be killed. He's going to be delivered into the hands of the Jews. They're going to hand him over to the Gentiles. He's going to be killed. And Peter takes him aside and says, never, never. I'm not going to let that happen. He was not yet indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So let's give grace where grace is due. Now he is. And one of the things he quotes is Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass... Remember, this is when the Jews are accusing them of being, some of the Jews are accusing them of being drunk. You know? And Peter says, man, it's the third hour of the day. It's basically nine o'clock in the morning. Okay, we're not drunk, as you suppose, as you suppose. Remember, we kind of talked about that. But then he gets into it. And basically he's saying, this is what's happening. This is the fulfillment of what Joel said. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and all my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. All people who are mine. All people who are mine. Now it will manifest different ways. Your young men will prophesy. Your young men will preach. Your old men will have visions and dreams. And, and all these, but all my simple ones too, my men servants, all my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, all flesh who are mine will receive my spirit. And that's what Peter's saying. That's what Peter is saying. This is the fulfillment of what the prophets were saying. Zechariah, Zechariah, chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on all the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. So, when this, when, I don't know what happened to y'all at the moment of your conversion. I remember the first time I truly was awakened. Again, it was a progressive deal, but one evening I was reading Augustine's Confessions, chapter 8, during his salvation, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I wept, severely wept. 
But, the, but this, is, this is what I've been saying. At the foot of the cross, all of our emotions are at their zenith, okay? So I wept and, and, and wept and mourned for my sins and all of my refusal, all my arrogance, but I was also weeping because of gratitude. You have actually chosen me. This is all true. This is fantastic. You have come to me. You are truly saving me. You have written my name in the book of life. That should shed some tears, but also mourning that because of my sin, because of my darkness, because I am called, because of my name is written in the book of life, I was also nailed to the cross to, in Christ. I also hang, because of my sins, he was nailed to the cross, but now I have died with him as well. And since I have died with him, I will also be raised in newness of life. Not perfect life, not glorified. We are not given glorified bodies and souls this side of the Jordan. But in newness of life, a reborn, reborn life, born of the water and born of the spirit. Titus, chapter one, I mean, chapter three, verses one through eight. This is Paul talking to Titus. This is one of his pastoral epistles. Remember Timothy and Titus. Remind them to be, to be subjects to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak no, evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. If Christ is heir, then we are heirs with him. Paul also gets into that. We are heirs with our Christ. We have been grafted in. We've been adopted as sons and daughters of, Christ, of God because of our Christ. We've been grafted in. We are also heirs with him. Okay, now Colossians. We'll conclude somewhat soon. This is where Paul begins to talk about the comparison of circumcision of the Old Covenant and baptism. And we'll kind of conclude with this. So chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him, through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, in Deuteronomy, uh, where is it? In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you might live. Circumcision was, was a right to point really for the believer, for the Jew, for the Israelite at that time, basically, if I do not follow, remember, they, they agreed to the covenant. If I fall away from this covenant, if I do not obey your precepts and your commandments, let me be cut off 
from these people. Remember, when, when God made that covenant with Abraham and he walked between those pieces, basically saying, if none of my words come to pass, if my promises do not, are not fulfilled, let me be like these pieces. Let me be cut off as God. Let the immutable become mutable. Let the eternal die. So God affirmed his covenant as well. And then he gave the, the, the right of circumcision for the people, for the people also. Now with this covenant, should you not follow, let you be cut off from these people. Now, that's why, okay, very briefly, remember, circumcision happened on the eighth day of a newborn son. Now Abraham, when he was given this, he was very old, so he was circumcised then. And again, proselytes who were converting into Judaism would be circumcised as well. For the most part when this is why this is one of the controversies we're going to talk about next week god willing however this is why i don't see any problem this is partly why i don't see any problem with infant baptism now the way rome exercises it is a problem and again we will wait for that next week god willing however the 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 baptism of the believer of the protestant church is basically dedicating remember remember the philippian jailer let's remember the philippian jailer remember he he comes weeping before uh, paul and silas and says sirs what must i do to be saved and they, and they said believe believe and you will be saved and be baptized you and all your household and they went and preached to all the household now in the greek household doesn't necessarily have to mean but some scholars do see infants but what the promise was not only to the men or the women who believed, it's to all her household. Remember Lydia, seemingly didn't have any children. She had servants, but all of her household was saved as well. So going back to the old covenant, that's what the promise was. That's why the, the covenant, uh, the rite of circumcision was given to dedicate basically this newborn is now a part of the people, not newness of life. This doesn't guarantee he will be faithful. Ahab was circumcised. Okay, Saul was circumcised. Many, many downcast and fallen Jews were circumcised. And that's why John the Baptist came on the scene and said, don't, don't say we have Abraham as our father. God can make sons of Abraham from these stones. Just because you're circumcised does not mean you're saved. Just because you're baptized does not mean you're saved. But this is a sign. This is a sign of the old covenant, the circumcision is, and the sign of the new covenant is baptism. So, I do think, it's a, when the Protestant baptizes their infants, wow, I'm going to get a lot of <laughs> pushback from this, oh well. When they baptize their infants, they're dedicating them to the precepts and the commandments of God, to the best of our ability, as parents, as fathers and mothers, we are going to lead them in the way of the Lord. And God willing, you are faithful to your promise that not only am I saved, but my household is saved as well. Paul talks about, you know, a believer who is married unequally yoked. It basically becomes a believer while they're still married to an unbeliever. Don't divorce. Don't divorce your, your, your spouse because he, the spouse who is with a believer is sanctified by the believer. Now, we see sanctification only happening after salvation. What this sanctification is basically leading them into the things of God. 
Because again, not just you are saved, but you and all your household. Okay, so continuing. Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Going to Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. And now, now, obviously, what he's saying, though, the ethnic division, you know, especially as it applies to the Old Covenant, which was specifically for the Jew, and that's true, not for the Gentile. Paul's saying, there's no more division. That wall of division has been torn down. Slave or free, that wall of division is torn down. Male or female, that wall of division is torn down. We are one with Christ. And if we are Christ, if we, are, if we truly are put on Christ, if we are regenerated, if we are given newness of life, then we are heirs according to his promise. And we are Abraham's seed because Jesus Christ is the promised seed. And he is Abraham's seed. And should we be in him and put him on us, then we are also his seed and heirs according to God's promise. I do encourage you to read all of Romans chapter 9 which is kind of going back into this same theme. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. This is verses 6 through 8. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called this. And that's a quote. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Now, so we're, we're going to just kind of conclude here. And, and then pick this up. Again, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but again, as it, as it relates to circumcision and baptism. Circumcision of the Old Covenant and baptism of the New Covenant. This is the rite. Now, the, the putting off of the foreskin was a cleansing rite. You were considered unclean if you were uncircumcised. That's why all the Gentiles, that's why Peter was so reluctant to go to Cornelius' house and go inside and eat with him and so forth. The Jews... They wouldn't eat. I mean, you could eat with Gentiles, but, but there is much to be considered here because, you know, if you've got pork somewhere and it's too close to my lamb, you know, that defiles my lamb. And I am now defiled. I am now unclean. I can't go worship at the temple. I can't go into the synagogue for a period of so many days. I have to do this other rite and be cleansed, okay? Now that wall of division has been, been broken down. Christ, Jesus Christ has destroyed that wall of division. However, again, the, the rite of circumcision was a cleansing rite as well. It was taking the, the, for, the unclean foreskin and tearing it off. However, also to engraft them into the covenant as a seal. Baptism is a seal. Okay, 
So also circumcision was a seal of the covenant. Baptism is a seal of the covenant. Think of a seal. Okay, now, now kings in the old time would have a seal. Okay, so when they would send out messages, the way you knew that it was authoritative and that it came from the king is he would, you know, take a bit of hot wax to seal the message and then imprint his signet ring. So this is the seal to authorize this message. When the Jews were circumcised and when we are baptized, we are sealed into the covenant that Christ has wrought for us. The new covenant, the new covenant, the old has passed away. Behold, he makes all things new. He makes us new through renewal of life, an actual just true giving of true life, a newness of life in which we must walk, in which we are called to walk. If we, are truly, if we have truly died to Christ, if we have truly been saved, then we have died with Christ to sins again. This does not make us perfect, but our hearts, our desires must be to pursue after righteousness that we might be conformed, that we might be sanctified. Remember, that's part of salvation. Salvation doesn't just happen one afternoon and one evening. Salvation is until it is culminated with his return, with, this, with the parousia, when we are given glorified bodies and glorified souls. Until that day, we are still being saved now. Do not fall away. Those who have gone out from us were never of us. Remember we talked about this last week in the first epistle of John. Those who have gone out with us were never of us, for if they were of us, they would have remained with us. Within the faithful church, within the true wheat, again, there are tares. There are tares. So we, we don't know the true, the true Israel, the true invisible church who is and isn't saved. But we can know ourselves. We can see whether or not this seal is on our hearts and on our minds. Are we humble? Do we thirst and hunger for righteousness? Do we seek to live in this newness of life and not in the darkness of our own arrogance and our own pride? Jesus Christ has broken that wall. Embrace it. It's fantastic. That's wonderful. These walls are, are there to divide. He has come to bring peace in that respect. Again, he also says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That father would be divided with his son, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, mother and daughter, and so forth, because his name divides, his truth divides. But those who are his are not divided that way. So should we be his? Destroy these walls. Seek peace with one another. Always desire peace. Always desire the light of our Savior, the light of true salvation, the newness of life. You have died with Christ. Now put on Christ and live in newness of life, in a light that does not fade. He is the Father of lights. With him there is no shadow of turning. 
There is no darkness whatsoever. Seek and follow our good shepherd. And these fall these walls will fall down and you will be much happier. <laughs> the life the light that he gives is a light of joy. It's a light of joy. The more we embrace the darkness, the more we embrace our pride and our arrogance and our expectations, we have not died for the cause of Christ. That doesn't mean necessarily that we're not saved, but it is an indication. And it's one that we must beware of ourselves. That's what I'm saying. I can't condemn you just because you, you know, seem to have these tendencies and so forth. But seek these things out in your own heart and follow our God. Follow his testimony. See who you are. None of us know ourselves outside of the truth that comes from God. And his spirit, none of us even know ourselves, much less another person. We like to think and expect everything from everybody else and so little of ourselves. Now, that's the old life. That's the old life. That's the darkened life. Walk in the newness of life. You have died with Christ. Now live in Christ. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your abundant salvation, your, the great outpouring of your spirit and your grace and your mercy and the light of your life and of your being. You've condescended to come and dwell with your people. Father, lift up our minds and our hearts and our souls to you, that we might give them all over to you. And as your Son says, we now worship in spirit and in truth, a newness of life, a light that does not fade, one that only gets brighter the more we walk with you. And so pour down your spirit. Rise up in us a flame. It can be a light. Refine us where we must be refined. But be that ever-present light pointing you to yourself, pointing us to yourself. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life.